Well, I am uh, honored to be able to have known John and Stephanie for almost two decades of my life, uh, to know that this church has partnered with them for 27 years, and that through the generosity of this church, we have built a church, a school, and a hospital, and uh, we just play a small part in the greater ministry that John and Stephanie, so as they kind of walk the halls, can you uh, give them a hand one more time uh, for their work here? Before we move off missions, just uh, one real quick thing. Um, in our work in Mali, West Africa, uh, we built the hospital in order to really make a difference in the AIDS epidemic uh, that is there. And um, it's a fully functional medical center. But one of the things that's actually missing is uh, pediatric care pretty much in all of Mali. And so today, um, part of my uh, request that we learned, and maybe just even uh, something for you to consider, is if you are a pediatrician or a medical worker that works with kids, um, we would love to have a conversation with you about possibly sending you on a mission trip uh, to Mali, West Africa to work with the doctors in that hospital that we help support there in order to help bring some medicine to kids. And so if you're interested at that at all, um, Joseph Pita is um, a longtime person here at Crossroads. He's on our missions team. He oversees all of our work in Mali, West Africa from Crossroads. And you can uh, uh, email him just joe.zapita at crossroadsabc.com. And just in the subject line. You can put Molly or Renew, and uh, that will get to him. And we'd love, again, to have that conversation uh, with you. And so uh, the sinners, great people, great work happening in Molly. So thankful that we are a part of that. And so with that said, uh, really, I want to welcome you here uh, to Crossroads Church. If you are new with us, man, welcome. My name is Matt Manning. I'm the senior pastor uh, here at Crossroads uh, Church. I also want to welcome those of you joining us online, whether it be Facebook, YouTube, Crossroads Live, wherever you may be. Today, uh, we are starting a brand new sermon series that I've been pretty excited about for uh, the last couple of weeks that we're calling the Generation Gap, where we're going to look at what it looks like to, you know, function at, with different generations in our world and in our church. And I think all of us, as we kind of live our lives in this world, would probably all agree that when it comes to the generations, there's a little bit of tension, there's misunderstanding, certainly there's missed opportunities when it comes to the generations and the way that our culture and society operate today. And as we come together around this series, just kind of so that you know up front that I'm going to spend a lot of time in this series with application. This is going to be a very applicational sermon series. And in it, a lot of the application is going to have specifically to do with the church because, if you didn't know this, I am a pastor. And so we're going to spend a lot of time uh, talking about the church. But also, I believe that with the principles that we talk about today, with just a little bit of tweaking, that you can actually apply this to your family, to your organizations, to your businesses, wherever God has you. Uh, uh, in, your, in your life settings. And so as we begin today, I want to say as honestly and as humbly as I can that I would not be in this position today if it were not those who came before me. That hands down, I am here today as the leader of this church because of men and women, many men and women who are part of this church who invested in me. That there is no doubt that I would not be who I am without the people who believed in me. Chief among those is Pastor Kim, who you just saw up here introducing John and Stephanie uh, today. That growing up here, that most of you, or some of you, I should say, have been around Crossroads long enough to know that I grew up in this church. 
And I grew up under Pastor Kim's leadership, that I sat where you're sitting week after week with my family, learning God's word from him. He and my dad are the ones who baptized me in the faith. It was Pastor Kim and Chip Case who chased me off the North Glen roof multiple times as a kid. I was playing up there that he is my pastor in every single way. When I was in college uh, in Omaha, Nebraska, I was studying to become a pastor. And part of my college experience is after my junior year, I had to do a pretty intense internship at a church. And so I had one plan for that internship, and it was to do it at Crossroads Church with Pastor Kim. And so it was February of 2002, and I had to get my summer plans ready for this internship. And so I was sitting in my car, and I pulled out my phone, and I called Pastor Kim. I called the church here to talk to Pastor Kim about, you know, him having me on as an unpaid intern. And so I asked him the question, and as vividly, I can remember this moment as vividly as I'm looking at you today, and he said, no. The conversation was pretty short. I hung up the phone and I was sitting in my car and I was like, God, I don't really have a plan B. Like there's, there's only one plan. A week later, Kim called back and uh, he offered me a paid internship at Crossroads Church. And so in the summer of 2002, for three months, I was here as an intern and that summer was a blast. Like everywhere that Kim went, I went. He invited me into so many things. He let me preach. And I mean, if you could just imagine like 21-year-old Matt giving a sermon, I practiced that sermon probably 30 times. And when I practiced it, it was 33 minutes long. When I preached it that Sunday, it was 17. Like, I mean, I was, I was moving, you know, and yet he allowed me to have uh, that experience. It was that summer uh, that uh, my uh, girlfriend, Sarah Hackett, came out uh, here and we got engaged. And it was Kim and Cheryl who threw a surprise, uh, makeshift, very quick engagement party uh, for us on the 4th of July weekend in 2002. And, um, you know, there's just excitement uh, in that summer. So you fast forward four years, and I'm finishing up my time in seminary. And, you know, I'm getting, like, you know, my ducks in order for, to, for my career. And so I go down to the um, job placement center at, that they had at the seminary. And I went in there, and I talked to the lady about, you know, what I was doing, where I was going, all that kind of stuff. And so she gave me this application that I had to fill out so that the school could help me uh, in a church. And as part of the application, at the very top were like 40 check boxes. And by each check box was like a role or a job within a church that you were interested in. And it was everything from like rocking babies to a senior pastor. And so as I was filling out the application, I got to the check boxes and I just checked all 40 boxes. And I came back up to the job placement lady and I handed her my application and she looked at it, she looked at me, she looked at it, she looked at me and she said, I don't know if you understand, but you're only supposed to check the boxes that you're like interested in. And I said, yeah, I get that. I was like, when I was 18 years old, I was 26 at the time, I said, when I was 18 years old, I just prayed to God that if he could use me in the church, that I'd just be used wherever he could. And so I just checked all of them thinking, you know, this is, this is just me, you know, this is what my prayer was to God. And I said, and by the way, this is just plan B, really. Plan A, as part of that 18-year-old prayer, is I told God that if you take bold requests that I'm requesting, that I actually end up at Crossroads Church where I could work for Pastor Kim. And so out of that experience, she kind of looked at me and she mumbled and she said, never in 25 years, right? This crazy kid applying for all these jobs. And um, so uh, that February of that year, which was been like 2006, I called Pastor Kim, he was a reference on my resume, and uh, he said, hey, why don't you send out some resumes? I know some good churches in the area who could use a young pastor like you. I said, awesome. So I sent him out a bunch of resumes. A month later, he called back, and he said, hey, Matt, I have a confession to make. I haven't given your resumes to anybody. <laughs> what kind of mentor are you, right? Like, 
He said, actually, he says, I have an idea. He said, I don't have a job. I don't have any money to offer you. I actually don't have anything to offer you. I just have this idea. I would like you one day to be a part of this staff. Would you give me a chance? Little did he know, again, when I was 18, that this was the prayer that I had prayed uh, to God. July of that year, I came on staff as the next-gen pastor here at Crossroads Church. And in the years since, Kim has taught me so uh, much about what it looks like to be a pastor that he's taught me how to teach the Bible. He was one of the first people who saw in me. He said, you have the ability to tell great stories. If you could learn to take that gift that God has given to you in telling stories and apply that to his scripture, you will open the eyes of people when it comes to God's word. He taught me how to lead staff meetings, how to have crucial conversations. He, he walked me through what it, what it looked like to, to uh, this idea that was planted inside of me where he taught me to look beyond what God was doing at Crossroads and to see what God was doing in the world and then to invest there as well. He taught me about the dark days of pastoral leadership, about how the critique would come and, and in those moments how to cling to hope. He was the person who, who taught me what it was like to minister to people in their illness and in sickness when they're in the hospital. In fact, the first time that we walked into a hospital together, he said, I want you to take the lead on this. And I looked at him and I was like, well, what does that do? What does that look like? And he said, well, just, just do what comes natural to you. And so we got into the hospital and I did. I did what came natural to me. And as we were leaving, he looked at me and he said, we're going to have to work on what comes natural to you. <laughs> Quite honestly... I would not be your senior pastor today if it had not been for a man who took a risk on a 20-something-year-old kid and looked at him and said, I believe that God has something special for you in your life. That, yeah. That one of my greatest joys in life today is that every two weeks on Monday, you can find Pastor Kim and I eating lunch together. And if you were able to eavesdrop on those conversations, you would hear him still encouraging, still investing, still cheering me on, even to this day. And tragically, tragically, there is not enough of that in the world today, is there? See, the reality is, is that there's so much tension around the generations, so much misunderstanding, so much posturing, not enough listening. And so over the course of the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about what does it look like to bring the generations together, particularly as a church whose vision is to be multi-generational. And so over the course of the next couple of weeks, we're going to, uh, I'm just going to give you this roadmap of where we're going to go. And so today, we're going to talk about mending the generational divide. We're going to begin this conversation about just identifying the problems and how we can be actually a part of the solution. Then week two, we're going to talk about how we live forever. I'm going to give you the secret of that. I know that you're all waiting for that, so come back next week. Lesson uh, number three, we're going to sit at Grandpa's feet, and we're just going to learn from lessons from Grandpa. And then week four, we're going to cast a vision of really what it looks like to be a multi-generation that includes the younger generations. And so that's where we're going to over the course of these next couple of weeks. And every week, just so that you know, my intention is to talk to both the older and the younger generations. Now, I know for some of you, you have this burning question, how do I know which generation I'm in. So I came up with a quick way for you to identify really quick if you're of the older generation or the younger generation, all right? Here's the survey, or here's, here's the quiz real quick. If you remember a time in your life, and for some of you in the younger generation, this is going to be so weird, all right? But if you remember in a time in your life where you had to disconnect from the internet in order to make a phone call, 
I'm just saying, you're probably in the older generation, all right? So we'll just, we'll just leave it at that. We'll just, we'll just go right there, all right? So over the next couple of weeks, my intention is to talk to both the older and the younger generation as one who sits a bit in the middle. See, I was born in August of 1980, which, depending on which generational study you look at, either makes me the youngest of the Gen Xers or the oldest of the millennials. Regardless of which generation I actually fit into, I believe that God has, for a short season, given me an opportunity to speak objectively into this conversation as one who sits squarely in the middle. And so what we're going to do today, as part of our discussion, is if you have your Bible, I want to invite you to turn to 1 Timothy chapter 5. 1 Timothy chapter 5. Over the course of these next couple of weeks, we're going to spend a lot of time in 1 and 2 Timothy. And the reason that we're going to spend a lot of time there is because these two letters were written by a guy that we call the Apostle Paul. And when he wrote these letters, he was actually a man in his late 50s, which by first century standards was actually quite old. He was an old man. And he's writing these letters to a young pastor named Timothy, who Paul first began mentoring when Timothy was just around the age of 16. And over the course of a decade, Timothy grew into being this young man who was now a pastor in this church in Ephesus. And Paul is writing these letters back to this young pastor named Timothy, mentoring him, encouraging him, cheering him on as he leads this church and walks in this world. And so when it comes to a world that is more divided than ever, particularly when it comes to the generations. And it's a divide that is, that is only reinforced through the media, movies and music and advertisement, where on one side you have the younger generation, the millennials and the Gen Z, often blaming older generations, uh, you know, blaming them as, as really like setting them up for failure in this world. And on the other side, you have the boomers and the Generation X who consistently and, 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 and constantly point out and judge the failings of the younger crowd. And while we see this in the world around us, and it's so easy for us to, to see this in culture, the reality is, is that we don't have to look too hard to actually see that it exists in and within the walls of the church. That we can see this, this generational schism even in the walls of the church, even in church worlds. That you have the, the younger generations, again, the millennials and the Gen Zs, who not only have failed to honor the older saints, but have brushed them aside, made them feel useless, and in doing so has unwittingly robbed themselves from relationships with people who have walked for decades with Jesus. The older generation, the older generation is no less guilty. The older generation and their heavy-handled dismissal of the young as fools and as immature has absolutely alienated young adults from their spiritual mothers and fathers who they so desperately need. And so the gap widens, the generational gap widens year after year. The younger generation stiff-arming the older generation at any point that they feel judged. The older generation feeling more and more disregarded and devalued. And this isn't just in the world, this is in the church. And so in a world that is more divided than ever, listen, we need the Bible. We need the examples of Paul and Timothy. We need them to show us what it looks like to live in healthy relationship among the generations. That we need, to show, we need them to show us that the gap between the older and the younger is not entirely bad, but in fact is good. 
See, when you open up the pages of Scripture, when you open up the pages of the Bible and begin to dive in into this topic, you quickly see that the Bible isn't interested in eliminating or even obliterating the generational gap. In fact, you actually see the exact opposite. In 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, Paul writes these words, Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. And then he goes on, same command, do not rebuke a younger man, but rather treat the young men as brothers. Same command to older women that you're to treat them as mothers. Same command to young women, you treat those young women as sisters. And you do all of this in the, in the purity of the heart. Listen, as Paul writes this to Timothy, he did, if he wanted to eliminate the, the generation gap, he would have said to Timothy, look, don't make distinctions in the way that you treat one another. I want you to treat all people as the same, but that's not what's happening here. He says, I want you to recognize, I want you to recognize that there is a distinction between the old man and the young man. I want you to acknowledge the gap. I want you to lean into it. And so when you're dealing, Timothy, when you're dealing with a man who is older than you, I want you to treat him as a respected father. And when you're, when you're walking and, and, you're, and you're walking with someone who's a younger than you, a young man who is, who is younger than you, I want you to treat him as a beloved brother. And when it comes to the older women in your church, Timothy, I want you to treat them as an adored mother. And the young women, as a cherished sister. See, when you look at the Bible, at the divide, the answer to the divide, biblically speaking, is not to do away with the generation gap. The answer is not to present as if it does not exist, because it does. The answer, biblically speaking, is that we are to recognize the generation gap, that we are to own up to the fact that it is good, that God created it, that God made age, and that God gave age for a reason. And in doing so, speaking to the generations, God says, look, we are to leverage the generations, the good of the generations, for the benefit of flourishing spiritually. That we're to embrace the generations. And so when it comes to people of faith, when it comes to churchgoers, our role... When it comes to the generations, to the generational conversation, is not to contribute to the toxic divide that is happening in our worlds. That as Jesus' followers, our role rather is to be a means of restoration. That's what we're to be about as the church, particularly when it comes to this conversation around the generations. And so when it comes to you who are sitting in the older generations, Paul's commands is to lead the younger. It is to lead the younger generations. And it's, not, it's to do so not with privilege or presumption, but rather through a lived out example of God's word. Paul writes in 2 Timothy chapter three, he writes these words, he says, but as for you, this is Timothy who he's writing to, so as for you, Timothy, continue in what you've learned and have firmly believed. Now look at the next line knowing from whom you learned it. Like, Timothy, this didn't just come out of you. Like, someone who has gone before you has taught this to you. You remember them. You remember them. From when you were just a child, when you were just a little boy, remember the people who invested in you, that you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able not only to make you wise, but to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. 
Now, in Paul's exhortation to Timothy here, he actually gives an encouragement to the older generations. In these verses, as if Paul is saying, look, if you're in the older generation, don't resent. Don't resent the younger generations, but believe in them because they need you. They need you. They need you to love them. They need you to care for them. They need you to teach them. They need you to lead them. As part of this sermon series, I sent out a, a survey to about 30 or so people, and uh, the age range was from 19 to 85. Every generation was represented with multiple people in the survey that I sent out. And here was the pretty much unanimous understanding from the younger generation about how they feel when it comes to the older generation. Listen to these words. Older generations look down on us as though they don't remember what it's like to be our age. As a generation that values purpose, when the older generation talks about our grim futures, it breaks our trust and it hurts the opportunity for deeper relationships. Another person from the younger generation wrote these words. How do you walk through war, difficulty, economic poverty, and more? My generation hasn't really known any of these things to a large degree. We've lived increasingly complicated but relatively easy lives from an outside stressor perspective. We've come to think of lessened privilege as persecution and acts of war. We don't know what it is, what it's really like to live through constant fear, death, famine, poverty, and hurts, like those who lived through the 20s, the 30s, the 40s, the 50s, and even likely more. How do you maintain a difficult marriage? Because it's what you said you would do. We struggle with that. How do you keep going on a different road and create success despite the opposition? We want to return to, to relative peace and safety. What are the priorities that you've learned in life and why and how do we take those with us and learn from them? Then listen to these words. You have something we don't. And we don't know what it is, but we need it. Listen, if you're of the older generation today, hear the pleas of the younger generation. They're screaming at the top of their lungs, don't resent us for being young, but believe in us. We need you. We need you. We need you. See, when it, when it comes to this, if you have breath, if you're of the older generation and you have breath, God is not done with you. He is not done with you. And so let me give you some loving advice on how you can do this well how you can lead the younger generation without presumption or privilege, but through a lived-out example of God's word. See, the key to, to all of this is embracing the season that you're in, that you need to embrace the season that you're in. Don't try to be something that you're not. Like the younger generation, they can smell inauthenticity. It's like, who faked? Like, they can smell fake from a mile away. That's, 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 just how, that's just how they are. And the reality is, is, is don't try to be something that you're not. With the younger generation, listen, with the younger generation, authenticity trumps cool every single time. And if you love them, 
and you care for them and you're willing to listen to them and you're willing to be yourself, I'm telling you that the younger generation will line up for miles to hear what you have to say because they're hungry to do so. Embrace the season that you're in. And when the younger generation shows up to be led by you, don't just give them information. That we live in an age where information is at our fingertips, that the younger generation isn't just looking for information, that part of the older generation, part of the issue in this is that the older generation gives, gives information then go, go do it. When that's not even effective learning, when we look at effective learning models, the first step is to give information. But then it moves on to an invitation. And the invitation is to come do as I do. Come imitate me. Here's the information, now come do as I do. And then eventually, it doesn't stop there, but it gets to the place of here's the information. You've seen the way that I've done it. You've done it the way that I've done it. Now, my invitation is for you to go and to do it better. Go do it better. Take what I've given you and innovate. Go do, the be do it better. Change the world. See, the way that you lead the next generation is not just to give them information in order to make them smarter, but it's an invitation to help them lead, to become leaders going forward so that they can lead their families, that they can lead the church, that they can lead their businesses. Older generations, please hear the pleas of the younger generations. Don't resent them. Believe in them because they need you. To the younger generations, here's my encouragement for you. Don't devalue the older generations. Honor them. Honor them. One of the great factors, one of the great factors in this generational divide is the lack of honor that the younger generations show towards the older generations. In fact, in that survey that I did, one of the younger generations noticed it, picked it up, and wrote it down. Here's what she, here's what she wrote. I am frustrated with how often I see my own generation regulate the older generation to the side and dismiss their wisdom. Sometimes I feel like the younger generations do not treat the older generations with dignity, respect, patience, and kindness. There was a huge survey done several years ago of the 20s and 30-somethings in the workforce. And the study, the way the study went is that the surveyors, they went to business leaders, they went to CEO, managers, they went to the bosses of the 20 and 30-somethings, and they said, we want you to describe the 20 and 30-something workforce in one word. As soon as they had that one word, they went to the 20 and 30-somethings, and they said, hey, we're doing this survey, we've asked all your bosses to describe you in one word, what do you think that word is? And the 20 and 30-somethings, they were excited, and they said, that word has to be exceptional. Enthusiastic, extraordinary. You can imagine their surprise when they learned that the one word that described their generation was entitled. Entitled. Now I know if you are a millennial or a Gen Z, that as you see that word on the screen, it just makes your skin crawl, doesn't it? Like you are so tired of your generation being described like this. And so let's just be honest for a moment. You have a PR problem. You have a PR problem, right? And listen, this has nothing to do with your work ethic. It has nothing to do with your creativity. It has nothing to do with your capacity. It has everything to do with your lack of honor. In Romans chapter one, 
We're taught that the beginning of sin was when people failed to honor God and give thanks to God. That is, that is the epitome of entitlement. We see it all the way back in Genesis chapter 3 at the very beginning, right? That when the serpent comes slithering to Adam and Eve and he says, why do you need a God? Why do you need to give thanks to a God? Why do you need to follow God when you can just be your own? Don't you deserve that? See, the lack of honor goes back to the very first sin. And if you're of the younger generation, and if your skin crawls at this description, the good news is, is that you actually have the ability to change the narrative. That many people through the years have noticed the relationship that Kim and I share together, the chemistry that we share, and they, and they ask the question, like, what's the secret sauce? Like they watched us move in this transition where Kim went from the senior pastor and, and transitioned pretty, pretty seamlessly to me being the senior pastor. And then the unthinkable that he actually came back and he works for me. And they look at it and they go, how does that work? Like, like where did that relationship come from? Like what's the secret sauce? And I've been in that conversation so many times through the years and Kim is always quick to answer. He always says it's because Matt honored me. See, the honor that I showed Kim publicly resulted in influence that I had with him privately. It was the foundation to our relationship. That Romans 12 verse 10 says this, that we are to love one another with brotherly affection, but then look what it says, outdo one another in showing honor. Paul says, like, if you're a Christian, like, this is, this is foundational to your life, that you should honor everybody. In fact, Paul goes a step further, and he says, it should be like a competition, that you're all climbing over each other to get to the top of the mountain to go, man, I'm the one who shows the most honor. And when we don't show honor, the consequences are devastating. They're tangible. I mean, in Mark 6, if you've never read it, it's one of the more fascinating passages in all of the scripture. We have Jesus going about life, and he's doing some pretty amazing things. He's healing people. He's casting out demons. In Mark chapter 6, he comes to Peter's mother-in-law who um, was dying and sick, and he heals her. According to most scholars, they think this is the reason that Peter denied Jesus three times. Just kidding. I couldn't help myself. That's funny. Anyways, Jesus has some pretty interesting things to say in Mark chapter 6, and here's what he says to him. He says, a prophet is not without honor, except in his hometown and among his relatives and in his own households. Then look at these next words, and he could not, not that he would not, that he could do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a, on a few sick people and healed them, and he marveled because of their lack of unbelief. But Mark 6, is these, this section is a tough section, and, and quite honestly, when it comes to this, I'm not sure that I completely understand what's going on here. You might have to find someone way smarter than me, but somehow, because of a lack of honor, it limited Jesus in what he could do. Not that he would not, but that he could not. That's the power of honor. And so younger generations, I so admire you. I admire you because you just don't want a job, you want a calling in this life. You just don't want to do something, you want purpose. It's not like, like you see the injustices in this world and you like scream at the top of your lungs like, not on my watch. 
And then you move mountains to solve problems. I mean, it is amazing to watch the younger generation at work. But how much, come on, listen, how much are you limiting what God can do through you because of your lack of showing honor to the older generations? How much are you limiting God? See, you have the power to change the narrative of your life. Let us realize that we can do way more if we would just humble ourselves, work at outdoing one another in honor, and learn from those who came before us. See, when it comes to this generational gap, I would argue all day long that the toxic divide that is happening in our country and in our churches is because the younger generations fail to show honor and the older generations are failing to love and we are limiting, limiting ourselves and what could happen. And if we were just to experience, if we were just to experience the coming together and the mending of the divide, that we would see God work in such amazing ways. But the only way that can happen is by being intentional. And so today what I want to do is I'm going to send you home with some homework, all right? So here's your homework for this week. At some point during this week, I want you to find someone who's in a generation older or younger than you. It doesn't matter. Just find someone in a different generation from you. And I want you to ask them this question. What do you wish that I knew about your generation? What do you wish that I knew about your generation? And then humbly sit back and listen. And see what God can do through that. Simply ask the question and then humbly listen to the response and see what you can't learn. See what God can't do in the midst of that. And so as I bring this sermon to a close, I want to humble my heart before the one who saved me, who came generations before me, who has transformed me, who has made me new, has filled me with his spirit and gave me a chance to make a difference in this world. That I stand before you today on the shoulders of my Savior, Jesus, so that you could see the grace of God that's available through Jesus for your own life. See, when Jesus came into this world, he believed the best in you. Like, like, how else do you explain it? I mean, the Son of God came down on this earth and he could have looked at you and go, here's all your sins, man. Good luck, you're burning. But that's not what he said. That's not what he did. But he believed the best in you. And he honored you. He respected who you were, who you were created to be in such a way that he was actually willing to give up his life on the cross. He laid down his life for us. And in our belief, we're made new. As we give our, our lives over to him, we're, we're made whole. We're saved. And so if you want to have a conversation about what it looks like to walk with the Savior who has transformed so many of our lives, we would love to have that conversation. The text line's up, 720-513-1933. You can just text the name of Jesus, and we'd love to have that conversation. Would you bow with me in prayer? Father, we come to you knowing and realizing that the divide is real between the generations. And Lord, my prayer is simple today. We just pray that you would heal it. That you would use us as a body of believers, as faithful people, to bring about restoration in this world.
And Father, I pray that you would start here at Crossroads first. That for the younger generations, that they would step up and they would begin to outdo one another in honor. And for the older generation, Lord, that they would put away their resentments and they would believe the best. Because the younger generations, they so need them. And so, Father, I pray that you would work in this church in that way and that through that, Lord, that we would be a cause of healing in this world. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Today we come together as a church to celebrate communion, realizing that the divide that we had between us and God was not one of generations, but one of righteousness. That no matter what we did, no matter how good we were, that we could not mend the divide between God and us. And so God in his awesomeness sent his son, Jesus, to this earth where his body was broken, where his blood was spilt so that we might have life. And so today, we remember Jesus' body broken on the cross for our salvation. And the blood that was spilt to bridge the divide so that we might have life. I'm going to invite you to stand as we sing and worship our good Savior Jesus. We're going to celebrate not only that we're multi-generational today, but that we're also multi-ethnic. And so you'll see that played out in our worship. If you need prayer today, we'd love to pray for you. In-house, you can make your way to the banner online. You can click the button, and we'll connect with you that way. Let's sing together.